Welcome to Biopics Mostly Suck, the podcast where we provide the true story behind movies based on a true story. Today, we'll talk about the movie Rocket Man, which is the story of singer Elton John. A big fan of Elton John happens to be John Helix, a frequent cohort on this podcast, and he's going to join me again to talk about one of his favorite artists and share information from his lifetime of following Elton John. I do have to mention that we had some technical difficulties with the recording of this particular episode. And you may hear some pops and clicks as if you were listening to a record. There's a good reason for that. I use a Gateway Netbook 2030U to record this podcast. Some of you may be thinking, a netbook, huh? While others may be thinking, what's a netbook? Well, a netbook is a small form factor Windows machine. It has a 10.1 screen, and it's a great tool to use when you don't want uh, uh, when you want all the things a laptop can do, just not as much power because it's a low powered machine. Uh, and but you don't want a laptop to take up a lot of real estate where you're going to be working. For doing this podcast, a netbook is the perfect tool as long as you remember to charge it up. And uh, uh, apparently I didn't. I've been practicing some uh, electrical conservation lately uh, and also practicing some behavior or trying to adopt behavior that is good practice for rechargeable batteries by not keeping it plugged in all the time. Well, I didn't plug it in to charge it enough uh, and, and this thing has a brand new battery. Uh, I love this machine from 2009 so much that I went out and brought a, bought a brand new battery for it, which I believe is the last battery of this type to be sold in the San Diego area because when I bought it at Batteries and More, the guy said they don't make these. There won't be another order coming in. So I may have the last one of these types of batteries. And it's supposed to be a 10-hour battery life, but apparently I didn't charge it. And when it gets really low on power while recording, uh, that's when we get the artifacts that come into the recording process. And we did have a little bit of a scare that took place um, during the recording of this episode. We'll just we'll we'll cover that about halfway through the episode. But uh, it was some scary times for us. Otherwise, for this episode, we're going to talk about Rocket Man as a piece of entertainment, and we're going to talk about the facts of the movie. We're going to rate both of those areas during the podcast, and we're going to see what each of us thinks about the film, and we're going to share some true life information about the life of Elton John. If you're ready, let's get started. If not, just hit pause. We'll still be here. So you have not seen the movie yet? No. Are you going to? I. It's a tough decision. Why? Why? Why is it a tough decision? I can't. I mean, we're here to discuss a movie, John. Uh, I know. I can't. Uh, I have a picture of Elton based on a, a, a major combination of childhood memories music playing his songs 
and I can't have a movie if it's going to take me in some weird direction and replace my image of Elton John with a new image. I, I don't know if I can do it. That is exactly what this movie is going to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's a permanent maybe. <laughs> so, uh, are you saying you can, not, not, not explain this to me because you can only hear Elton John songs within a context that you've experienced? No, it's that when a, when I have them in a context that I've experienced, if it's something that's really meaningful or someone that's really meaningful, I develop a, an intense relationship to the the persona. I don't I mean obviously you don't know the person, right? But the music and the persona and when that shifts, when I'm very happy with the persona that I have either constructed or that has been constructed for me, when it's replaced by a different image that I think is is could misrepresent my ideal image, then I get disturbed. I know that sounds incredibly convoluted, but it makes sense to me. Well, I'm really curious because when it comes to Elton John, he did that himself because he was Elton John with the costumes and mm-hmm. the flamboyance. Mm-hmm. And then when his album Reg Strikes Back yeah. came out. Sold all his clothes. That was it for the costumes. He sold the Donald Duck mm-hmm. costume. The, right? From Central Park, yeah. From Central Park. And he changed his image. He changed his right. presentation and... I prefer to keep my myths as myths. So you would prefer he was still 70s, early 80s Elton John versus... I would prefer to keep him in my mind that way. Really? Yeah. A lot of his music going post-77, it's pretty bad. Um, So when you hear, can you feel the love tonight, are you picturing Elton John in a Donald Duck costume? I'm not even really picturing Elton John. Really? Nah, that's not my Elton. That's oh okay no. so okay this is interesting nah so is that's there... that's Elton who worked with I think it was Tim Rice who whoever wrote the lyrics to that mm-hmm. I, to me Elton John is Elton and Bernie got it there's there's no other there's there's no other Elton John oh that's interesting well if if that's the perspective of Elton then uh, yeah there, there's going to be a lot on the visual side <laughs> that's replaced and, and I tell you what because we were talking about watching the movie yeah, together yeah yeah which i would love to do with you someday because okay i want to watch you watching this movie <laughs> but that's what i want <laughs> you uh, just want to watch me squirm for uh, two and a half hours <laughs> I, think, I think you're going to squirm as we talk about it today. okay okay but i think if, if someone were to film you watching rocket man and not have the sound of the movie in the background yeah just show john watching yeah, the yeah. movie I would say one would think you were watching a horror film. Because <laughs> I bet you're going to sink down, you're going to, you're going to be looking through your fingers, yeah. and you're going to be grimacing. It would be every reaction one would have to a slasher film. It's the other thing, too. Yes, I'm thinking of it now. I do not want... Uh, who's the, What's the actor's name? Who plays uh, Elton? Um I'm blanking on the name. Jesus Christ. Um, it's not just Whoever the actor is, yeah. Um, I don't want his voice in my head attached to an image of Elton. Oh, he did such a good job. It's uh, I, Taron Egerton. I would just I would just lose it. Yeah. Taron Egerton did such a great job. Oh, I'm not denying the job he did. I think he could probably do a very, like, an excellent job, but 
I don't want that replaced. I want my myth intact. Interesting, because I was listening to a streaming service, and I selected Elton John, right? Because he yeah. was on my mind after the movie. Taron Edgerton songs from the soundtrack come up in the mix on streaming for Elton John. Interesting. Along with Elton John. How do they fit in the playlist? Uh, actually, it's the same song performed by both of them. It'll just oh, pop up a okay. couple songs okay. later by Taron Edgerton. And does it flow? Yeah, his, his voice was great. He sounded just like Elton John. Really? And he looked a lot like Elton John. He did a fantastic job, but okay. Other than Elton, okay. other than you have your... Pic- I have I have my own you, peccadillos, you know. You, you have your, your picture of Elton. Yeah. Uh, I think the other thing going against you with this movie is it's a musical. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Now, what is the problem with musicals? Okay, so I mean, how how far back do you want to go with this? Is this a childhood thing? Oh, it, no. Uh, yes and no. Uh, so I won't go into the childhood stuff. Let's go into the. Um, <laughs> Let's go into the philosophical objections to uh, musicals. Well, this is... I, I'm trying to think of when philosophical objections to musicals has been discussed, but there's always a first time. So there's always a first. Let's go. Maybe someone will say, hey, that talking about the philosophical objections to musicals, you need to listen to that. Maybe that should be the title of this podcast <laughs> or of this episode. <laughs> um, okay. Here's the problem. Okay. If you're going to sing to each other, why are you talking? In between? Yes. Because it's not opera. Why are you talking? Because it's a genre. It's a. It's, I'm aware. It's and a that's, way. It's another way of telling a story. I agree, okay. and I. I am horrified by the way of telling a story that way. To me, it's histrionic. It's completely overdone, uh, with the exception of very few musicals. I think it's this. There are performers. And there are musicians. There are some who are both, right? I don't like watching performers. Pure performers. And that's what I feel like I'm watching. I feel like I'm watching a, which it is, a, a make-believe. I, the, I can't, the willing suspension of disbelief does not work for me on a musical. I'm just looking, why are they talking to each other? Or why are they singing to each other? Why don't they just pick one? This is not holding a mirror up to my experiences. And you know what? This is not a musical in that way. Oh, okay. So you don't have Elton and Bernie talking to each other and suddenly... It's a little bit funny. Exactly. (laughs) They they start singing. Okay. Uh, That's not done. Okay. Conversations are conversations. Where it does break into musical category is song and dance numbers that happen in a fantasy type of aspect. Okay. I I wouldn't have as much of a problem with that. There you go. Then, then, Then that's it. You should see it. So the, 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 the case is, is mounting. I, I think you're I've, providing me with ammunition. I'm down, I'm down two here. <laughs> so, so item number one, you just have to get over it, John. Yeah. <clears throat> item number two, it's, it's not a musical in a sound of music way. Yes, exactly. Right. So, yeah. which by the way is a musical biopic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. King and I musical biopic. Are they upcoming? What? Any of those on this series? You know, that's interesting because I know the Thais really hate the king and I. Because hmm. they don't like the way the king was presented Oh, by Rodgers and Hammerstein. Interesting. Um, 
back when it was Siam. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, they don't they don't like what Yul Brenner did with that character. Oh. So I think that would be something interesting to delve into. That would be some serious historical minutia. <laughs> and then yeah, which I love history anyway. And sound And who doesn't? You know, who who doesn't love it? Tune in to Biopics Mostly Suck for your weekly history. Historical lesson. edition. <laughs> okay. So so we've taken care of your two main arguments for not seeing Rocket yeah, Man. Yeah. And, and you know what? I say Fuck the podcast. Let's go see it right now. <laughs> well, let's just go. We can come back to this. We aren't live on the air. We could just hit pause, go to the theater, come back, and do this. We could. I would honestly better, <laughs> have a better time doing this than doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a good time right now, okay. so I don't want to... <laughs> okay. I will not harsh your mellow, then. <laughs> no harshing the mellow today. Uh, Maybe will, another day. <laughs> I will not harsh your mellow... Okay, so then what I'll do, because I think me describing the movie is going to cause the same reaction that seeing the movie would. So I get to enjoy it from my point of view as we set up the plot, which we do in every episode. We talk about what happens. Would you like pen and paper to take some notes? Because I'm sure you're going to come across some things you're going to say, fuck, that didn't happen. No. No. Yeah, no. that would actually. I, uh, no, no. Let's 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 go on the fly. Uh, on let, the fly. Let's go on the fly. Yeah, let's go on the fly. Tell you what, I, I got first. I just don't want to interfere with the. Uh, I got first page here. Let, let me get a. Let me get a, the pen right there. There you go. All right, you're all set. Item number one. I, no. no. <laughs> Capital <laughs> exclamation point. No. No. And it's, uh, and we'll talk about why, after we talk about the plot and we get into the fact checking, we'll talk about why I think I'm going to be a lot more lenient on Rocket Man than I would on oh. another movie. But, but we'll get to that. Okay. We're, we're going to go ahead and do as we do in every episode. We're going to talk about the plot of the film we're here to talk about. So everyone understands what's presented. Then we're going to talk about the facts and we're going to talk about what happened, what didn't happen, and we're also going to talk about why it might be okay to take certain types of license with a film. So let's go ahead and talk about the movie itself, because Rocket Man begins with a figure, horns bursting through double doors and walking down a hallway. Elton John is the figure dressed as the devil, and he enters a room where a group session for addiction and rehabilitation is underway. He introduces himself as Elton Hercules John, an alcoholic, cocaine addict, sex addict, bulimic, and a shopaholic. When the moderator of the group asks Elton about his childhood, he replies with the first lines of the song, The Bitch is Back. I I was justified when I was five, raising cane. He then gets up from his chair, walks through a pair of double doors, which opens not into another part of the building, but onto... Uh, a British cul-de-sac in a neighborhood where there's there's a little Elton John there too in a schoolboy uniform and the uh, a song and dance number of The Bitches Back begins with dancers in the middle of the cul-de-sac street. This is in Penner? I mean, it's hometown. Right? Yes, yeah. hometown, yeah. right, hometown. In, okay, right so in front of his childhood. home. Okay. Yeah, right in front of his home, his childhood. The movie follows Reginald Dwight's life from his young life with his parents, Sheila and Stanley, and his grandmother, Ivy. Stanley was mostly absent as he served in the Royal Air Force. Sheila was cold, and Ivy, the grandmother, was the most caring towards Reg. 
Reginald had a talent with the piano, which led him to being the Royal Academy of Music. Uh, and what's presented in the film is he could play by ear. Yeah. He could just hear something played and play it right back as if it were a phonograph. Uh, Reg takes an interest in rock music, performs in pubs, and joins a band called Bluesology. That band gets a gig to play music for a Rhythm and Blues review, and the man who is now Elton, who takes his first name from a bandmate in Bluesology... Elton Dean. Elton Dean discovers that he is attracted to men after one of the singers kisses him before a performance. Elton begins to write music and starts working with Dick James Publishing Company and is managed by Ray Williams. Williams introduces Elton to Bernie Toppin, and the two form a friendship and move into a flat together to write songs. Yeah, John John is here just no staring comment. at no me, comment. no comment at the moment. This is kind of fun watching this. This is this is good. Watching me seethe. <laughs> watching him seethe over the microphone. This is great. Uh, so Williams introduces Elton to Bernie Toppin to perform a, uh, to form a friendship and move into a flat together to write songs. Elton has an awkward romantic relationship with their landlady. That's presented in the film. While Toppin is hanging out with members of the Rhythm and Blues Review and with Elton after a gig, one of the singers outs Elton as gay. And Toppin, while shocked at first, accepts Elton and his homosexuality. Toppin and John then write Your Song, which impresses Dick James, and he makes arrangements to bring Elton John to America. John's first show is at the Troubadour in Los Angeles, where he meets his band and plays the song Crocodile Rock. Rave reviews of the show launch Elton John's career in America. At a party after the Troubadour show, Elton is hurt when Bernie Toppin spends time with a woman instead of with him. Elton meets John Reed, a music manager who is attracted to Elton. They sleep together, and Reed soon becomes Elton's manager. Elton becomes more successful, his lifestyle becomes more debaucherous, while he embraces his flamboyant stage persona. Reed, now Elton's manager and lover, insists that Elton come out to his mother and father as gay in order to help hide their relationship from the press. Elton visits his father, who now has two sons, for whom he shows affection, but he shows no affection towards Elton. His mother claims that she has always known he is gay, that she doesn't care, but that he will also never be loved, and that he will be lonely the rest of his life. Elton turns to Reed for solace, and Reed scolds him, slaps him, and tells him he needs to pay attention to his sold-out concerts. In struggling with his relationships, Elton becomes addicted to alcohol, cocaine, cannabis, and sex. Elton finds empathy from a German recording engineer, Renate Blau, a woman who says to him it must be lonely to be a famous singer. They marry, but sleep in separate bedrooms due to Elton's sexual orientation, and soon divorce. I think John's turning red at this point. He's He is trying really hard to not respond. Okay, back to the description. Elton, hungover and exhausted, wakes up from days of sleeping to tell Reed that he wants to take a break from performing and spend more quality time together. As he approaches Reed to talk to him, he finds him cheating with another man. Elton breaks off the relationship. A party takes place at Elton's house later that day, where Elton consumes a large amount of drugs and jumps into the pool to commit suicide. He is pulled from the pool, his stomach is pumped, and he is put into a sequined Los Angeles Dodgers uniform to perform Rocket Man in a sold-out Dodger Stadium, after which 
he literally becomes a rocket, shoots into space, and bursts into fireworks. Okay. Oh, okay. Very good. Uh, Symbolism. Symbolism. Elton has a falling out with his mother and Toppin. He consumes prescription pills and alcohol, which causes him to have a heart attack. Reed hears the news and refers to it as just mild chest pain and forces Elton on stage. Elton realizes his life is spiraling out of control. While he's in the full devil costume with the cape, uh, his nose starts to bleed backstage and he leaves Madison Square Garden in order to go into rehab, which brings us back to where the film began. He and Toppin reconcile and begin to work on new songs as Elton returns to performing. And they do a really interesting thing at the end because Toppin just hands him an envelope, right? Mm -hmm. An envelope of lyrics he's written. Yeah. And the song they show Elton working on is I'm Still Standing. What year is this supposed to be in? Well, when did he get it? Well, we'll give him the facts. Okay. Oh, okay. Sorry, second, sorry, right? sorry, sorry, so, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Okay. We'll, so, we'll talk about yeah. that in just a moment. But he's working on I'm Still Standing. They cut to footage, which looked really, really familiar to me. Mm-hmm. That's because the footage they cut to is the video for the song I'm Still Standing. But it's not Elton John who's in the video. It's Taron Edgerton. They remade the music video. No, because they were using the original people oh. from that time. Because, wow. you know, there's a lot of That's dancers cool. in that video. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, it, it would be apparent if the people had aged since then. It was the exact same shots, everything, just with Taron Edgerton <laughs> spliced in, doing all the same things Elton John did. So that that was a little weird, in fact. Yeah, eerie, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a little eerie, a little weird. Yeah. But then Elton John returns to performing. The movie then ends with a series of pictures and just captions to inform you of what Elton has been working on, that he's... That How he, far up does it bring us? It brings us to current. Okay. That, uh, brings us up to he's currently touring. Yeah. Is where, where it brings us. That, that, that's the tour he, he's doing because he wanted to spend more time with his children. <laughs> so he's on the road for three years. <laughs> three year old tour. <laughs> yes. Because his children are, what, around 10? Oh, no. I don't think they're that. They're, they're younger? I think they're younger than that. I don't, I don't know. I haven't, so kept, I haven't, I haven't kept up with his life in the last, I don't know, 10, 15. Yeah, so so he's out touring while his children are young. And, well, I guess he'll be there for them, you know, as they hit pubescence. Hmm. Yeah, okay. But it'll be good. It'll be good, and he'll retire. But uh, <laughs> but no, they, they cover a lot of things in the end, his charity okay. work, yeah. etc. I always uh, thought that was, a, that was a noble thing that he did um, with his singles. Because he, he says that, you know, um, in interviews. He said, I, I was, I should have been there in the eighties went with all of the stuff with AIDS and Freddie Mercury. That's right. And he said, I wasn't there. Well, so, he wasn't out. No. Yeah. He was out at that point in the eighties. Yeah. Cause didn't he marry uh Renati and yeah. And that's why everyone flipped out. The sun flipped out and the, the tabloids flipped out. They thought what's going on. I thought, yeah. cause he was, he, he came out in 76. Did he come out in 76? For a Rolling Stone interview. And John Reed was in the other room and didn't want him to do it. And he said, and Elton said, I can't, I just can't. Or this, this, this is his version of the story. It's for the famous Cliff Jarred did the Rolling Stone interview. And uh, Cliff said, we can turn the tape off for this portion. And Elton said, keep it running. 
Really? Yeah. So he was ready to come out. He was ready to come out. So he came out, and then he got married in the 80s, and that was a shock to everyone because they had been... First, it was a shock when he came out, Yeah. which is weird, right? Times have changed, I guess. Uh, and then it's a, and then it was a shock when he got married, and then it was a shock when he got to... It, um, whatever. Yeah. And anyway. Now, you see, for me, I, I mean, because... Because I was young when Elton John hit. Mm-hmm. I was born in 69. So I've never known a life that didn't have Elton John. Mm-hmm. Right? So the first music I was listening to that came on the radio had Elton John in the mix, most likely. Yeah. And I remember specifically, my family had a, a big station wagon, sky blue with wood paneling on the side. Yeah. Yeah. And it had the way, way back seat. Uh it had the seat that faced yes. backwards, right? And you had the big window that went down yeah, yeah, across yeah. the back. Yeah. And I remember distinctly, as I was thinking about this podcast and thinking about Elton John, uh, I remember hearing Crocodile Rock from the little speaker that's at the very oh. back of the station wagon. But I can associate, I associate Crocodile Rock with that station wagon and sitting in the way, way back seat. That's interesting. I, I mean, I associate it just, I grew up with it too, because my dad was the, the ultimate Elton John fan, and that's all we listened to growing up. Really? Elton John and Billy Joel, that was it. Those were the mm-hmm. only two musicians who mattered. Now, why was that for your dad? He's a piano player, and he, and, and also he, he, uh, he liked the way they played the piano, because a lot of piano players play pretty much the same way. Yeah. They're, they're classically trained, and they play like robots, you know what I mean? That's true. It's in researching this, and we'll talk about Long John yeah. Baldry yeah. in a little bit. But I found a YouTube clip that I put on the website, which is Elton John playing piano behind Long John Baldry. Yeah. And as soon as he hits the keys, you can just hear it's Elton. Yep, absolutely. So how is that? I don't know, but that's what my dad was hung up on that having a um a signature sound that was really pretty. Yeah. And, yeah, but I, I don't know. Piano players to me are a dime. I can't tell most of them apart, but. If Billy Joel hits a key or if Elton hits a key, I know. Or Leon Russell. If Leon Russell hits a key, I know it's him. And, you know, I had never considered that until I found that YouTube clip. And it was, yeah, as soon as the fingers hit the keys. It's him. Yeah. You know it's Elton. Yep. And I don't don't know. I don't know what that is. It's the same. I mean, how do you know it's Hendrix? How do you know it's Paige? I mean, it's just, yeah. But the piano is a different beast, you know. It's interesting. Not many people gravitate toward it rock and roll wise. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Well, you got Jerry Lee Lewis, right? Yeah. And Lil Richard. Lil Richard, yeah. So rock and roll, and then, well, Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Beatles used, Beatles used some piano. But that was but, Billy Preston they used, right? For the keyboards, but they, um, both Lennon and McCartney played the piano. McCartney played it better. Um, but they weren't playing things fast on the piano. The Beatles weren't, were they? Well, Lady, yeah. Lady Madonna, I would think, is maybe... Lady, so Lady Madonna is is the piano is sped up and compressed. Oh, uh, okay. yeah. But there, no, McCartney's a talented piano player. Really, M- Lennon. I mean, no, no offense to the man, but was not a very talented piano player. Incredible guitar player, rhythm guitar. But Lennon played what my dad would call Mickey Mouse chords. Mm. Um, and McCartney, McCartney actually, when he, not that we need to go into Beatles lore here, but in '66 when Revolver came out, uh, McCartney wanted to go he actually started taking piano lessons from avant-garde piano teachers and stuff it was really cool interesting yeah so he plays on all of that most of the pianos mccartney and, and i wasn't trying to knock piano playing skill at all i, I was oh no i was yeah. just thinking compared to billy preston oh it's a joke billy, billy preston was There's... playing things fast on the keyboards 
And the only thing I can really recall Lennon and McCartney playing are things like Hey Jude, yeah. Let It Be, you know, things that are very kind of ballady, very plotted, very ballady, yeah, very. Yeah. But but definitely not Little Richard or no, not that Jerry kind of Lee level. Lewis type yeah. of stuff at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not to say they aren't skilled, just to say I. It oh just yeah, occurred to I, me I don't recall them playing anything fast on the piano. Yeah, that's yeah, it's, that's are you Lady Madonna's. What? Yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, yeah, let's. Enough Beatles. Okay. All right. So you ready to move on to the facts? Let's go to the facts. Right. Did you jot down any? any I uh, just wrote down chronology. <laughs> That's all I wrote down. Which is a big, big thing. <laughs> so in this portion of the podcast, we will talk about how facts were presented in the film and the historical and factual accuracy of each item. We will rank it between one and five for truthfulness, and we will rate the movie based on the average of the accuracy. And historical elements. So let's get started. First one we have to talk about is, and there were songs performed before they were written. Right. There were so many that took place in the movie. A couple, a few examples I have here are uh, Elton is handed, in the movie, here's what happens. Elton is handed an envelope of lyrics to write music to when he meets Ray uh, Ray Williams. And the envelope is just pulled out of a stack. Happens to be from Bernie Taupin. Happens to be? Ray Williams had the stack of envelopes, and Elton John said, well, do you have anything I could do to show you what I can do? And Ray Williams fumbles through this whole stack of envelopes and says, here, why don't you take this one? Okay, that's not true to begin with. It was just at random. But uh, So what happened, really, if it it wasn't pulled at random? Okay, so, so Bernie is from... Is he from Lancashire? I'm trying to remember his hometown. He always describes himself as the country mouse and Elton as the town mouse. Like Elton's the city guy and Bernie's the country guy. Okay. He was writing poems and he just had a ton of poems. There was an advertisement in uh, the uh, Liberty, for Liberty Records in New Musical Express. And Bernie wrote and he sent in his lyrics Elton answered the advertisement as well. The, the company didn't have anything for them individually, but they thought they would make a good pair because Bernie wrote the lyrics, Elton only writes music, and that's what Elton said. I can write music, I can't write lyrics. And so they said, well, we got this guy, he's from the north, he's from the country, so he comes down to London, they have a meeting, but he'd already, Elton had already been working on his songs before, yeah, before they, before they, officially met but it was not it, it was not chance that bernie toppin's envelope handed up and ended up in elton john's hand according to all sources this was an intentional decision so very interesting so they were paired together intentionally mm-hmm. so who was it who so was it ray williams who paired them mm-hmm. and, and then he got fired by dick james yes yeah was it Bernie he paired with Elton or Elton he paired with It was Elton. With Bernie? He, so he's, he, he paired Elton with Bernie. He said, I have a stack of lyrics from this guy. Here you go. <laughs> you guys might, you guys might kick it. You might, you might hit it off. This, this might go well. Oh, okay. So he heard the music. Elton he heard it. He was, performing. yeah, he was impressed by Elton. And he had in his mind that these lyrics might go well. I don't even think he had in mind that these lyrics, I think he had in mind, here's a lyricist. And they usually did not work in the same room together, right? For the first uh, 15 years, Bernie would give a song to Elton. Elton writes the song in 15 to 20 minutes, and they would record it. Like Yellow Brick Road, they they wrote and recorded three or four songs a day. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. David, David Johnson, the guitar player, says, I've seen Elton just sit there at, at the piano while I'm eating breakfast, and he'll write a song in 15 minutes. Wow. Now, now I've read sometimes Elton would edit the lyrics. Yeah, because Bernie would give him these giant... Uh, there were no stanzas. He didn't understand song structure, and so Elton would group choruses into choruses and verses and middle eights and all that kind of stuff. So they had a process. Oh yeah, and they were they were fine with that process. But they didn't have a back and forth process. It was entirely one way. And this is the thing: uh, Bernie says, "I've been surprised with what he's done with my lyrics. I've never been disappointed, though." Interesting, because in the movie they make a point a couple times that. They've never had an argument. That's bullshit. Yeah. 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 Be- because what was I reading today in the, maybe it's in the liner notes of Tumbleweed Connection. Okay. There's a diary entry mentioned from Toppin, which says, had a row with Elton today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, and you know, you know, Bernie and Long John Baldry talked him out of getting married. Yes, and that's what Sorry. I want to get to when we talk about Long Sorry John about Baldry. That. Sorry about that. Because okay, Long yeah. John Baldry, I found to be just so fascinating. Okay. And why don't we know more about him? I don't know. And, and I think it's a terrible shame. And we got more stuff to get through before we get to Long John Baldry. Okay. All right. But we will get there. All right. So let's talk about the songs and how they happen chronologically. Okay. Since that is your one and only note that you have made. Oh, no, it's not just songs. <laughs> oh, not just not just songs. In the It's movie, even moods. Moves interesting. So in the movie, uh, Elton auditions for Dick James by playing Daniel, and I guess that's why they call it the blues. Okay. Crocodile Rock is performed by Elton at his first show with the Troubadour, mm-hmm. which, by the way, it's a fantastic visual they do in this. Yeah. With the whole audience floating, because it's general admission standing, yeah. right, yeah. at the Troubadour. Yeah. So, you know, there's that picture of Elton where his mm-hmm. he's just perpendicular right. to the keyboard looking like he's flying. Yeah, flying the handstand on the piano. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so what Elton has said is that during that show with the Troubadour, it felt like he was flying. When did he say that? Uh, he said that in, I think, involving this movie. That 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 was his feeling doing that show. He didn't say that uh, in interviews in the 70s. Not Probably not. What did he say in the 70s? He said he was nervous as hell. Leon Russell was sitting in the front row. Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond introduced him, I think. Um, oh. Neil Diamond uh, and the the A&R people were going crazy trying to hype up this show and fill it with as many celebrities as possible. Fill the troubadour with this. Because this was Elton John's make or break moment. And they show his reaction to that in the film. Um, because he's told Neil Diamond and other people yeah. are there. And he goes into, he wants to cancel it. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. That's so his, that's in the that's movie. A, okay. Okay. So that actually did happen because, yes. but the reason he wanted to cancel the show, I don't know if they put this in the movie, is that when they got to Los Angeles, Bernie meets Maxine and falls instantly in love with her. And Bernie and someone else from the crew take a road trip to Palm Springs and leave Elton alone in the hotel. No, that is not in there. Elton's at the hotel and he calls Dick James in London and says, fly me home. Interesting. Because, and then James gets on the phone with, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember his manager at the time. It wasn't John Reed yet. Ray Williams? Yeah. And says, do not ever leave him alone again. You are in charge of this guy. It was, yeah, Elton wanted to cancel the whole thing. He said, he said, fuck this. 
So no, no, they, they didn't get into that, and kind of makes sense. It, it makes would have sense. Kind of been a diversion in the story. Yeah, but I want to do. I, I, there's one more great line. Okay, 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 okay. He said when he saw Leon Russell, Leon Russell sitting in the front row, his immediate thought was, "Oh shit, he's gonna come backstage after the show, tie me to a chair, and say, listen, this is how you play the piano, motherfucker.'" <laughs> That's a direct quote from Elton John. <laughs> so. So he may not have talked about how he felt during the show or after, because what you're talking about is all before, right? Yeah, but in the so in the Troubadour show, what the way it has been described is that the the crowd was largely non-responsive, and then he said, "Fine, if you won't listen to that, maybe you'll listen to this." And he kicked the piano stool back, and he went into this raucous version of Sixty Years On." Interesting. So that's the that's the official story of the Troubadour. That's the crowd was very muted, very cool, West Coast cool. And Elton got upset in the middle of this. He's playing his his singer songwriter, and he said, "Fine, you won't listen to that." And he actually kicked the piano stool back, and that's when that the theatrics started. Well, that kind of makes sense as to why they chose Crocodile Rock. Yeah, because they do have him kicking the stool back. Yeah, but you know probably of all his tunes crocodile rock is probably the most rock and feel good one absolutely right? so if you're going to take a song to convey that type of thing yeah without the context being set up 60 years on may not be it right 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 I, I, the only thing i would say is that for the elton fan it would be hard to there because there are phases of elton's career you know i mean there's and Bernie talks about that extensively. Bernie hated it when they went pop. Yeah. He loved it when they were they were this kind of bluesy soul. You know, like the first three albums, Bernie loved. And then he said, all of a sudden, it got really poppy. And you know, he he would write the pop songs, but he hated all the pomp and circumstance and the plumage and all. Yeah. He hated all that stuff. Really, he didn't like the Bernie costume. said they asked him. They said, "How do you feel about watching your song being performed uh, in a Donald Duck costume?" He said, "Do you think I like?" Watching your song being sung to 150,000 people in Central Park and Donald Duck. No, I don't. But it's Elton. <laughs> that's what he says. But it's Elton. You deal with it. That's it. Yeah. That's what it is. Okay. So we're talking about the songs and where they fell in the timeline. So we'd said uh, he auditions for Dick James with Daniel. And I guess that's why they call it the blues. Crocodile Rock is performed at the Troubadour in his first show. And I'm Still Standing was written when Elton got out of rehab. In reality, Bernie Taupin wrote the lyrics for your song in 1969. Daniel was written in 1962, which is well, well past 1960. Well, 72. 72, which is well past 1967 when he's auditioning. Yeah. And I guess that's why they call it The Blues was written in 1983, mm. which is when you stop paying attention to Elton. Yeah. Right? Because he was out of the costumes. Uh, I thought the music started to suffer too in the '80s. So breaking hearts, you don't like breaking I, hearts. That's that you point out the exception, but like leather jackets, twenty one at thirty three, kiss I, the bride. I mean, a great song, but not yeah. a great, uh, great uh, album. I don't know. Too low for zero, great album. I love too low. For too low zero. for zero, great album. That's, but, the, that's the one with I'm still standing. Yeah, but there's a lot of hit and miss stuff, and but I feel like this up to seventy seven, you just can't go wrong with an Elton John album. That's true. Crocodile Rock was written two years after the Troubadour show 74. took place. Yeah. 74. I'm Still Standing was written in 1983, and John left rehab in 1990. So yes, some chronological problems mm -hmm. going on there. Mm -hmm. However, the genre is a musical. 
And don't you have to pick the right song for the right mood mm -hmm. in yeah. the story you're telling? Mm -hmm. I mean, we all know little Reginald Dwight who was playing pubs as a child. Now, now here's what's presented in the movie. Okay. And, and I really kind of love this one is, is he's got the pub crowd there. Okay. And he's a little tentative on playing something. And his grandmother says, oh, play the one I like. And he launches into Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. <laughs> right? And I just thought, that is great. And then, so, so he's playing it. And after the first verse, he gets up. He's going through the pub. Little Elton John goes out the doors across the street through a break in a wooden fence. And the camera comes up on his back. Okay. And, you know, it goes black because the camera gets so close. And then when he walks away, it's Taron Edgerton as Elton John at a fairground. And there's a whole dance number that takes place. And where are we in time in this spot? It doesn't fucking matter. Oh, okay. Movie, okay? <laughs> okay, all right. It all doesn't right. matter. I'm just going to cross off chronology here. There we go. <laughs> okay. Because that's, because that's why I'm saying I'll be a little easier on this film. Okay. Because if we were saying Bohemian Rhapsody really didn't capture Freddie Mercury... For a number of reasons, right, 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 right. They shied away from being gay. Yeah, they they treated uh, his sexual orientation as if it was something he had to make penance for. Yeah, uh, it's just it did not capture the man. Well, Rocket Man may not be factual chronologically, right. yeah, but it captures Elton John. If you if you want to capture the Elton John you know and love, yeah. This movie does it because, and they do an interesting thing with that devil costume, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the rehab is that as they cut back to rehab, which apparently he's monopolizing the rehab group. Not surprising. Talking about his life, right? But when they come back the first time, he rips off the horns off the costume that are Velcroed on. And as they keep coming back, the, the cape is gone. Or the boots are off, right? So there's like a deconstruction right. of that Elton John taking place yeah. in the rehab group as they're telling the story to the point where he's just in a bathrobe. Yeah. Sitting in the chairs in a circle. So visually, I thought it was an interesting choice that yeah. if what you're talking about is really the story and the true story of Elton John it is really a guy who's dealing with his own demons. He was medicating himself. Oh, yeah. And just went, you know, he hit bottom and proceeded to dig. Yeah. Uh, hi there. Uh, Rob here. Uh, sorry to interrupt the episode, but as I mentioned, we did have some technical difficulties. And that technical difficulty was me not charging the netbook, which gave us a scare at this point in recording the episode. Because at this point, I noticed the screen was completely dark. I moved my finger on the mouse pad to try to uh, see what was happening, and nothing came up. There was a little orange light blinking on the front, which told me that there was still some hope to not lose the episode. I raced into the house from the garage where we record the episodes, and I grabbed the plug and frantically raced back to the garage. I plugged it into the netbook, and thankfully, the netbook came back to life. And we were very happy to see that the screen showed that 
the recording was still in process. The, the, the numbers were still moving. Uh, it was so close to death, but it was still recording. And, and I was really, really happy to see that. However, when I reviewed the episode afterwards, it turns out that when it hit that really low power state, it just completely turned what we were talking about into gibberish. And that's a shame, because John and I were having a really good conversation about uh, Rocketman and how gay the movie was. Well, we mean that it was uh, very forward in presenting two characters, uh, John Reed and Elton John, and their love for each other. And it was noteworthy that it shows two gay men just enjoying sex. In the history of film, most recently in Bohemian Rhapsody, being gay and being sexually active usually ends up with some type of contrition or some type of downside. And it was nice for Rocketman to show two men who were just in love with each other and enjoyed being with each other. And at the same time, we were noting that uh, Rocketman is moving the needle on the presentation of LGBT. So that's the conversation John and I were having when we had the crisis with the netbook and thought we had completely lost the episode. And I'm going to go ahead and return you to the episode, and I'll return you to when we realize that the netbook is still recording, that we still have the episode, and we pick it up in process of returning to our conversation about the movie Rocket Man. Going. Good rock and roll. We are the going. Bitch, okay. The bitches are back, folks. Yeah, Mike was down. Oh, or the battery was down. All right. Okay. Good. Okay. Son of a bitch. Okay. Where were we? Uh, we were talking about how gay Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, that's is. right. And yeah, I think we're just on that path. I would love to see a point where. Uh, we don't have to talk about how gay a movie is yeah. because it's just silly. We don't talk about how straight movies are. Yeah. It's, it's mean, I mean, it's, it's utterly meaningless. It, it would just be nice to go to a movie and like you're saying, not people are going, oh, it's a gay love scene. Yeah. yeah no, no, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, with the aging baby boomers, there was more of a reaction to the previews. If you're trying to sell a, Here's the thing. If you're trying to sell a movie and figure out who it's going to sell yeah, to, yeah. show the trailer to a theater full of baby boomers okay. because there's an immediate discussion group on whether or not they're going to see it. Oh, I'll, <laughs> I, I, I go see that one. I, that's, like going, that's like going back to the 90s, man. Yeah, yeah, I, I, oh, yeah, that looks good. Yeah, that, yeah. that looks good. I'll, I'll go see that. No, no, I, I, I don't think I'm going to see it. It's like, well, Okay. <laughs> See that one. Ah, all right. So, let's talk about Reginald Dwight changing his name. Okay, Reginald Kenneth Dwight. Reginald Kenneth Dwight, because in the movie, Reg takes his first name from his bluesology bandmate Elton Dean, uh, 
And he comes up with his last name when pressed by Dick James. The movie shows him looking at Dick James' office wall and seeing a picture of the Beatles. And he responds that his last name is John. Are we st- are we fact checking this movie still? Oh yeah. Okay, yeah, we're that, we're really gonna okay we're gonna do that. Yeah. So what really happened? The last name of John came from Long John Baldry. Why do we not know more about Long John Baldry? Let's put him on the landscape. What do you know about Long John Baldry? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> I know he was the lead singer of Bluesology, and um. That he was one of Elton's close, uh, they were close, uh, musically, but also personally. And he was there the night, I think it was at the, what was the bar they used to go to? I want to say it's the Bag of Nails in London. And That's a great bar name. <laughs> That's a great, I want to say, but I don't remember if it, that, that, there might be a different one. But, uh, Elton says they're, they're all on him, but especially Baldry says, you can't get married. Are you insane? I mean, just, you yeah. can't, you cannot get, ma- you cannot marry this. Because apparently, the woman he was engaged to, according to Bernie Toppin, was just verbally abusive, was just awful to him. Um, and he, and obviously, he was conflicted and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> but, um, Elton, they, they, they went to the bar and then he came home and Elton says, it took a lot of alcohol, but I went home and I said, not getting married, and that was it was Long John Baldry in his ear saying you, you shouldn't do it. It's interesting to have that context because we're going to talk about that with Long John Baldry because it's really, really interesting and factors into a song oh. that Bernie Taupin and Elton John did. So let's get into that. So Long John Baldry was a mentor of Elton's, and he was also a mainstay of the 1960 London rock sing. Baldry was a Canadian British singer and one of the first British singers to sing American blues. We have a whole great tradition of American blues being Mm -hmm. performed by people from England. We have Led Zeppelin. We have Eric Clapton. We have The Who, I would say. Yeah. Well, well, Who are more mod, but I'd say blues influence. Rolling Stones. Stones. Most definitely. Baldry was at the forefront of that. In fact. Wow. In fact, this is what's cool. Uh, both Rod Stewart, well, there we go, Rod Stewart too, with faces. That's blues right there. Yep. Both Rod Stewart and Elton John appeared in bands led by Baldry before they launched their own careers. Baldry's band with Alexis Corners Blues Incorporated, which recorded the first British blues album in 1962. Oh, wow. He was the start of it. If you want to look for the trunk of the tree for yeah. British blues, that's him. You know who was in his band? Keith Richards and Charlie Watts <laughs> were both members <laughs> of this band. While, well, hold on, hold on. While, uh, while Brian Jones played with the band on stage. Oh wow! The formation of the fucking Rolling Stones yeah. occurred under Long John Baldry. When the Rolling Stones made their debut at the Marquee Club in 1962. Baldry put together a band to support them. He can also be heard as the announcer introducing the Stones on their U.S.-only live album, Got It Live If You Want It. Wow. Wow. So he's a thread that just runs through. Baldry was openly gay among his circle of friends, but he did not come out publicly until the 1970s. 
In Britain, homosexuality was a criminal offense that could lead to forced medication or jail time. And forced medication being a euphemism for chemical sterilization of gay people. When Elton tried to commit suicide after relationship problems with a woman, and this is, this is a great story because Bernie Toppin and Long John Baldry came into the kitchen to find Elton with his head in the oven. The oven was on low and all the windows were open yeah, in the house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's what Bernie has that reaction. He goes, my first reaction should have been to be, say, my God, what have you done? But I just started laughing. That's what he says. Well, I mean, <laughs> you left all the windows open. <laughs> exactly. Talk, talk about an action that's just a cry for help, right? right because he's not going to be effective with the oven on low and all the windows open. Yep. Anyway, so Long John Baldry was there. Uh, Baldry talked John out of marrying the woman and helped him become comfortable with his sexuality. The song Someone Saved My Life Tonight is based on this experience. Yeah. Do you know where Baldry's mentioned in the song? Let's go through. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. No, no, just, you, go, go for it. No, just tell me. Sugar Bear. Really? Really, that's Someone Baldry. Someone say my Sugar Bear is, is Baldry. Sugar Bear oh, is wow. Baldry. That's really interesting. Sugar Bear is Baldry. Okay. But And he died in 2005. I forget what from. But he was recording well into the 80s and the 90s. In fact, when he did come out, his album title was John Baldry's Out. <laughs> Why do we not know more about this guy? Uh, maybe it's the I mean, maybe it's the Elton thing, you know? What do you mean? What well, you mean? I mean, Elton just, once Elton took off, he was it. For England, well, for in terms of England, you know what I mean. Well, I mean, once the Stones took off, once I'm saying the seventies. True, but I mean, maybe he was just eclipsed by everyone he helped. That's what I'm thinking. Is like you know, it, that, Baldry yeah. could have could have made it had Elton not made. It. I don't know. I'm, th- I'm just thinking in terms of who. There are only a certain number of slots for superstar of the world, right? That's it. And I and. Well, Baldry was definitely an influence, not just on Elton John, but yeah. on a whole host of other people. Apparently. That's, a... that's quite a list of people. Yeah. And, that's an amazing uh, initial uh, <laughs> lineup. I, I think maybe he was just eclipsed by those who came through. Yeah. You know, the, I mean, he, he had a long recording career. Yeah. And uh, he later moved to Canada, became a Canadian citizen. Kept recording did st- there. Did he stick with the blues, or did he, did he ever go to pop? Good question. I haven't explored his discography too much. That might be another. Uh, uh, that might be another factor. If he stuck with yeah. his sound, it's it's not exactly pop mainstream. I, I think the item I posted is more bluesy, but it's yeah. from 1970. Okay. I don't think okay. he he had one hit, and I think that was really kind of let poppy. the heartaches begin. That yeah. was it. Yeah, that was it. Which doesn't sound like a blues song. No, it sounds like a, I don't know, some crooner in a Vegas lounge or something. Exactly. So Long John Baldry, who is not even mentioned in Rocket Man. No shit. Well, that's why he got his last name from John Lennon. They just shortcutted all of that. Oh. So no mention of Long John Baldry in any way, shape, or form. Okay, let me ask you this. Do they suggest that Someone Saved My Life Tonight is about his suicide attempt? No. Okay, thank God. No, because the suicide attempts don't really come until later. Well, yeah, 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 okay. And there's only one suicide attempt depicted. It's when he has a whole house full of people. 
It's that's in L.A. when he's doing the Dodger Stadium concert. Yeah, yeah. He, Which, took, he took eighty Valium and jumped into the pool. But he said before he jumped into the pool, "I'm going to kill myself." Yes, and apparently it happened with such frequency. Did you ever hear his grandmother's response when he did that? Never do that again. No, no. Oh, really? I thought that that's what he said. I promise I'll never do it again. No, what she said was, I guess we can all go home now. I guess we can all go home. Oh, because he flew all the family out for the show, right? Yes, that's yes, right. Yes, and it's yes. all his family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess we can all go I home now. I guess we can all go home now. What a British response yeah. to suicide. That's great. Yeah. That's just great. But what they do in the movie that's really, I mean, the visuals in this are really well done. So when he does put himself in the pool after the drink and downing the bottle of Valium, yeah, uh, he's shown floating in the pool. And then there's like this big wide shot. You see the tile of the pool in the background. He's floating there. And on the pool bottom is little Elton John at a little piano wearing, wearing this big bubble on his head. And you can tell they didn't do this dry for wet. They did not fake the water, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So this little kid is really in a big bubble head providing air to him because you see the air coming out. And, and Taron Edgerton on the floor of the pool next to him, lying there, you, you see like the bubbles in his nose. You can tell they're underwater, yeah. that they aren't faking it. But as this visual of him floating over his younger self, who's playing the piano there, and then he gets dragged out of the pool. That didn't happen. Rolled onto, rolled onto the deck okay. next to the pool. His, he's thrown on a gurney. They're rolling the gurney along. His stomach is pumped all while Rocket Man is playing. <laughs> oh, this is over the, this is, this is over the sound. This is the, to the song. To the song. They're doing this to the song Rocket Man. His stomach being pumped as the gurney's traveling along. He's lifted up by the hospital staff in silhouette. So you see just silhouetted figures. They lift him up in, you know, kind of a dance way, right? Mm -hmm. And then they they tip him feet first right into the Dodger Stadium costume. And that's when it picks up. You've seen in the commercials him just coming on stage with the bat on his shoulder and smiling. That happens right after that. Oh, okay. So it's a whole sequence of things from him in the pool, pulled out, stomach pumped, thrown into the costume, thrown on stage. To play to that sea of people. To play to that sea of people, yeah. yeah. Also, first concert uh, at Dodger Stadium since the Beatles. Was it? Yeah. I got to see Elton John at Dodger Stadium. Not for that concert. Oh, okay. But when he did a doubleheader with Eric Clapton. Oh, cool. Oh, and the really cool... Well, first off, Ray Cooper was playing percussion for him. Ray Cooper's the best. Ray Cooper is... And if no... There, there's videos out there of just him and Ray Cooper doing concerts. Yeah, check out live uh, live from uh, back in the U.S. I'm trying to remember what the na- name of the, the concert was in 78 that he did in the in the Soviet Union. Mm, he, yeah. he and Ray Cooper together only. That unbelievable. And Ray Cooper is also the percussionist in Eric Clapton's uh, Unplugged concert. And he is the, okay, if you've never seen Ray Cooper, the man looks like a librarian. Yeah. But he is an incredible percussionist. He handles his percussion instruments with, I would say, a doctor's surgical skill. Oh, yeah. There, there's no grabbing things with him. It's all thoughtful, place it down, thoughtfully pick it up. That is until the gong mallet. Exactly. And, yeah. and then 
And then when he does a percussion solo where he's on wood blocks and he's on congas and he's hidden drums and, and then he grabs the gong mallet with his little round glasses and his balding head and he just screams this primal scream and he starts whacking the gong yeah. like you wouldn't believe. I am a huge fan of Ray Cooper. Me too. When, on that tour, the Russian press called him. Uh, uh, they said he looked like a demented, a demented civil servant. Yes, <laughs> he does. He, but he is so perfect in uh, what he does. He's amazing. He's so incredible. So I got to see uh, Eric Clapton and Elton John. I think this was maybe. 91, 92. I'll have to look up. Okay. When it w- still had his voice back then. It so. was when the sun don't come down. Uh, don't let the sun come down on me with George oh, Michael. Oh, with George Michael. Okay. Because Elton John had performed the song in the set. Then a few songs later, he was wearing this big yellow coat, right? And he's at the piano and he said, well, the show was going so well until the fucker in the yellow coat. <laughs> screwed it up and then george michael came out and they did don't let the sun go down on me a second time yeah so but it was just it was a whole lot of fun but yeah i got to see him at dodger stadium that's cool my dad was at the dodger stadium concert in uh, 74 no kid yeah he drove up for it oh wow that's amazing yeah that is cool yeah crazy so let's talk about reginald's mum I just feel I have to say. I know. Mom. I know. No, I, I wasn't laughing at the mum part. I was laughing at Reginald. Reginald. <laughs> Reg. 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 Uh, do you know much about Reginald's mum? No. Uh, she's presented in the movie as uh, very mean, very dismissive yeah, of her son, I... very undercutting, and, and it's interesting because um, it, it seems she really is that awful. Bernie described it. Did, did they have her like chain smoking and saying mean things? And She's that, chain smoking. Yeah, that's how Bernie describes it. Referring to his fat little legs. Yep, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And what's yeah. interesting, here's how we find out that they were pretty on target with her. Because the actress who played her, Dallas Bryce Howard, read the script. And her first thought is, they're vilifying her. Oh. She could not imagine that someone would be this awful to their child. Plus, if you're an actor, one of the things you're trying to do is you're trying to find empathy with the character. Yeah. Because even people who play bad guys, they want to find out why their character feels they're right. Yep. Because just playing someone who's bad, you're not going to have the right perspective. Yeah. So she's looking for empathy on this character. She herself sought out people who were not related to the production, who knew the family, just so she could get a greater understanding. And it turns out they weren't vilifying her. Sheila Dwight most likely had narcissistic tendencies. Hmm. Well, I know um, Bernie's mom was super supportive. Bernie's family was the supportive. They were really supportive of Elton. Um, really? And, and Bernie, yeah. And Bernie's mom is. If you uh, if you can watch interviews with Bernie's mom, or read interviews with Bernie's mom. She she loved Elton and she was all about it. It's just so yeah. interesting their dynamics. You know, they come from polar opposite worlds. Family yeah. home and the farm and you know and then the lost boy in the city trying to it's just it, it's a it's a it's a fascinating dynamic. Well, when it comes to Elton's father, what they portrayed in the movie, I think it depends on perspective sometimes because uh Elton's half-brother yeah. feels that 
their father was not portrayed correctly. Hmm. Because, well, I mean, what's shown in the movie is he wasn't kind and loving to, to Reginald. Mm-hmm. But when they show him with his sons in the new marriage, he's kind and loving to them. That's in Philip Norman's autobiography. Who's Philip Norman? He wrote Elton's uh, Elton's first major bio. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, but yeah, the brother's saying, no, no, he wasn't as he's portrayed at all. He was uh. a very loving person, which if he was getting that treatment, it would make sense. He yeah. obviously didn't have Elton's perspective on it. Yeah. I mean, for all of the inaccuracies, the things that are out of place chronologically, it's really interesting because, well, I mean, it's inevitable this film's going to be compared to Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. But there really doesn't seem to be anything where it's just wildly out of character in certain instances, where even though there's great license taken for presentation, Mm -hmm. there doesn't seem to be great license taken for, for storytelling. Uh, they show Elton hurting people mm. with his addictions. Yeah. Uh, they don't try to present Elton in a better light than he was. And he was the executive producer. He was the sole executive producer yeah. on this film. And his partner, David Furnish, had a production credit, which I, I think it raises an interesting question. Should someone be an executive producer, essentially the boss of the director, over their own story, is it okay uh, only in certain instances, or is it not okay at all? Is that, I mean, is that the same thing as saying, should someone write his or her autobiography? Good point. I don't, I don't think it matters. I agree. I, I don't think so either. I think where it would matter is if you're trying to clean things up a lot. Yeah, if you're, if you're trying to, you know, do revisionist history, then sure, go ahead. Write your own past, you know what I mean? But... Yeah. <laughs> We know the shit Elton did. We know what you did. I mean, it's, you can't... Uh, it was public. <laughs> and they didn't shy away from showing it. No. How did they portray uh, John Reed? How was it... What was the character portrayed as? Um, in what way? Different than he was portrayed in Bohemian Rhapsody. In Bohemian Rhapsody, he was portrayed as basically a businessman. Right. He had some, some reservations about Bohemian Rhapsody, the song. But uh, other than that, yeah. he wasn't an awful guy. Uh, this John Reed, well, the love affair between him and Elton is presented great. Okay. I like the way that was done. Violence? Uh, he slaps Elton at one yeah. point, but I understand that it, the domestic violence from him. He was him... incredibly, it was, it was mutually abusive. But uh, also John Reed used to get, he was relentless in his protection of Elton. If yeah. anyone went after Elton in, and... A lot of people have said this for all, for what an asshole John Reed was. The one saving grace that they say is that here's the thing: he would kill someone if El- if they went after Elton. And he's <laughs> Bernie says he's seen John Reed jump off the stage to go mix it up with a huge like Texan built guy. I mean, John Reed's a little guy, yeah. And to go in there and they say, you know, you couldn't fault the guy for his guts, but I mean, just really the. The violent part was really surprising to me when I was reading just how much violence there was in that. In- yeah, they they only gave touches of that. They did not delve deep into it at all. Yeah. Uh, there is an instance when Elton is alone in his room during the party at his house, and he's drinking and doing drugs. What what year? What decade? This or- is right before he throws himself in the pool. Okay, so like seventy four. Same party. Yeah, okay, where John Reed says to him, uh, "You know, I still get twenty percent whether you live or die." Oof. Which, I mean, it depends on how you want to look at that. 
is that abusive or is that a scared straight tactic? Is that it doesn't matter what you do. Right. I'm still going to come out fine. Yeah, but it, it's interesting because they got into that huge court dispute later in uh, later on and because they both they, they they sued Dick James, which killed Dick James apparently. Yeah. yeah. Uh but then also Elton and John Reed uh cut ties um and he he sued John Reed for millions and millions of pounds but but Reed was equally they were both on the same path. Reed wasn't saying get your get yourself cleaned up. Mm. Actually when uh, when Elton went into rehab, he told John Reed to do the same thing. He said clean, clean up or you won't be my manager anymore. Interesting. Yeah. So it's an interesting they were both on that trajectory. It's it, it it's not like Reed's going calm down, Elton. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He was pushing him along. They were pushing each other along. I mean, that was a, a relationship of mutual substance abuse. And know? when we put it in the context of what you described, which they did not dive deep into the movie at all, it makes sense, that yeah. line in context. Yeah, yeah. Now, let's talk about his rehab before we wrap this up. Okay. Because even though it really is visually pleasing how they did the rehab with yeah, the double yeah. costume and everything... I've read that, no, he really did not leave a concert in order to go to rehab. No. What I read was that he was, the last time he used cocaine, he was in a London hotel room for two weeks, just using, Mm -hmm. just using and using. And the reason he went to rehab is because a boyfriend of his went to rehab. Yeah. Hugh, I think the guy's uh, name was, uh, Hugh, I think if I'm getting it right, Hugh, it's a funny story. So they go in and they have, they they air their grievances about each other. And Elton's grievances are, Hugh doesn't stack his CDs neatly. He's not tidy. He has this, these superficial bullshit. Hugh's reasons are, Elton does cocaine. He drinks himself to a blackout and it just goes in this litany of, yeah, but yeah, that's, that, that's, that's accurate. They had to find a special uh, hospital that treated uh, all of his addictions. And I think it was in Chicago. I don't know. I'm trying to remember where that was. But they had to find a specific. It wasn't a. Really? Yeah, it wasn't a spur of the moment decision. Because he had bulimia, cocaine addiction, alcoholism, and sh- and a shopaholic or shop. What, what is that? I don't even know what the word. I don't. I don't know what shopaholism. Is. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Shop. Shopism. I don't know. Um, but they had to find a place that would treat all of them. Oh, how weird. Yeah, because they couldn't, I guess, it, what's the saying? It's like putting an octopus to bed. You know, you put one down and the other pops up. And so yeah. um, Bernie has a really interesting story about visiting Elton in rehab. Uh-huh. They made Elton write a letter uh, to cocaine in rehab. Oh, interesting. And he writes this just effusive, just just pouring out letter. And Bernie reads it and he goes, you can't write lyrics? And he, that was his response. <laughs> he was this whole time. You're telling me you can't write lyrics and you can write this. So that's that's an interesting little tidbit. Yeah. Well, because as soon as you said he wrote a letter, my first thought is, I wonder how they would be his lyrics. I thought that before you said the end of the story. <laughs> well, let's dig up the letter. <laughs> what, is it out there? I don't know. Oh, I, I wonder. Uh, I don't know. It's awfully personal. <laughs> Yeah, I, I that's doubt- really digging into someone's uh, psyche. Yeah, I doubt it. Well, I don't know. I will research, and we will find out. And we'll poach it. 
Anything else to say on Rocket Man, which you haven't seen, but I think I've convinced you you should? Yes. Yes, I've convinced you you should? No, I have more to say. (laughs) I would say that the flamboyant Elton John is one incarnation. I would really like for the film not to conflate the incar- the various incarnations of Elton John because the early Elton John material mm-hmm. this is this is one of the issues I would have with it is if people go to it and they come away with you know they're 18 19 they've never they don't know who Elton John is right or it's just a name they've maybe vaguely remember from Princess Di or so you know what I mean they're they're not yeah. and this is their introduction to the music I would I would feel sad for that person because early Elton John is very rock blues based rock blues folk based then it transforms into a pop with um, Honky Chateau and then Don't Shoot Me and then with Blue Moves and this is interesting too Blue Moves came out after he gave the interview in 76 announcing that he was bisexual oh and Blue Moves was his first album not to hit number one Interesting. He had a string of number one. Uh, I think it was seven or eight, right in a row. All, all went straight, straight to number one. Yeah. And then Blue Moves never hit number one. It was immediately after the interview. And he was getting letters and hate mail and just all. And but he also got sympathetic letters as well from people who. And he said he wrote back to 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 them. Wow. And, and they would say from young men who would say, "I'm look, I live in, you know, Louisville or where wherever and." I feel like I can't be myself and yeah. you know, you're an inspiration and da, 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 da. And he, he would write them back and say, don't give up hope, you know, da, 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 da. so there, you know, I just, I think that the, the, the phases of Elton's career are important musically, Yeah, you know, and I just don't want those to get blurred. I don't, I don't want to have one to think that rock, that rocket man is Elton John's only song. No. And it, I, I would say it's a, it's a great movie. Yeah. So, so for me, I would give it a four. Okay. Easily. Okay. Maybe four and a half. I really, really enjoyed it. Okay. But I would agree. If you want to see who Elton John is, more probably Tantrums and Tierras. Yeah, Tantrums and Tierras. <laughs> uh, or, or what's another book? Uh, what's a, did he write an autobiography? No. He, so he will not give in anyone permission to claim the official Elton John biography. He wants to do his own memoirs. But... There have been several, which are pretty good. Philip Norman's is really good. There's another one that came out in the 90s, which details his much more specifically and the trajectory. But there's also a really interesting documentary about Elton and Bernie coming to L.A. And Elton talks about his sexuality. And, you know, John Reed was the first person he slept with. Yeah, in a hotel room in San Francisco. It's just really interesting the, the way that it, I think the story is fascinating, but again, just to go back to it, it's the, I would just hate for people to come away from this thinking that Elton John was only Crocodile Rock or only I'm Still Standing. There's so, there's so much nuance to the guy's music. And I would just, I would hate for the image to overshadow the talent, which is, which has always been Bernie Toppin's complaint. He says, look, it takes away from the music. And and you know what? I don't think this movie did that, Hmm. to tell you the truth. Okay. I, I mean, it is big, it's flamboyant, it's a hell of a lot of fun, and there's more to explore on Elton John, most definitely. Yeah. But but I would say, and like I said, I'm going to go easy on this film because it was just so enjoyable. 
I came out humming the songs, and I just I I felt good watching it. Well, that's and, good. And, and I know what I watched was essentially the story of Elton John. Yeah. Right. He went through shit. Yeah. He came out of it. He's in, in a long-lasting marriage. You know, I, I I really can't fault that they got the core components right, even if songs are placed where they need to be for the mood of the film. Yeah, sure. And actually, that assessment matches Bernie's assessment when they ask when they ask Bernie. So, what happened with Elton in the seventies and the eighties? Bernie simply says this. He says he got into a jam and he got out. Case closed. That's it. So, yeah, highly recommend Rocket Man. Highly recommend if you really want to understand uh, more of the depth and more of the work of Elton John. Uh, let it be your first taste of what he has to present and then go deeper. Yeah. Go Tumbleweed Connection. Tumbleweed Connection all the way. Right. Absolutely. Go into Tumbleweed Connection. What else would you recommend to someone? Oh, geez. Uh, uh, first, first album. Oh, just Elton John, self-titled, right? Uh, I would, I would say, um, first album, you can ignore Empty Sky for a little while. Empty Sky is a kind of a collection of demos, but I would say if you want to start off at the right spot, Start off with uh, Honky Chateau. Oh, Honky Chateau. That's when Elton, he's right on the cusp of going into pop. Well, I think I need to go revisit my Elton John collection now. All right. All right. Thank you much, John. Absolutely. Take care. Pleasure. Bye. Now is the time where we fact check ourselves. We come to these discussions prepared, but sometimes the discussion takes us into areas we weren't prepared to answer. For instance, as John and I were talking about the relationship between Bernie Taupin and Elton John, we were talking about something that's mentioned a few times in the movie, where Bernie and Elton never had an argument. I had said that the liner notes for Tumbleweed Connection have a picture of a diary entry that says, Had a row with Bernie? That picture actually appears in the liner notes of Captain Fantastic and the Dirt Brown Cowboy. According to a Rolling Stone interview from 2011, Elton was asked about this picture, and his response was, Really? I don't know what we had a row about. I couldn't imagine. According to Elton, in that same interview, he claims that he and Bernie started working together after he was handed an envelope of lyrics at Liberty Records and was told it's from some guy in Lancashire. John had shared information that he had read in a biography, which gives a different story. So apparently there's a a couple different stories out there of how Elton and Bernie first started working together. We also talked about Long John Baldry, who seems like he was quite a guy. He released 26 albums and 42 singles before his death in 2005 from a severe chest infection. I still say, why do we not know more about Long John Baldry? As we talked about Elton John's many addictions, we wondered what a shopaholic is actually treated for. They are treated for compulsive shopping. And finally, when talking about rock and roll piano players, how could I have forgotten to mention Ben Folds and his band Ben Folds 5? If you haven't listened to them, go listen to Song for the Dumped. It's on the album Whatever and Amen, which on its own is just a brilliant album as well. 
go check it out. Did we miss a fact check for this episode? Send us a message through the website biopicsmostlysuck.com and let us know. And there you have it, Rocket Man, a highly enjoyable film for me, and I'm sure we'll get John to see it at some point, even if we have to take a clockwork orange approach to it. I give it a solid four stars as a piece of entertainment due to great music and great visuals. And you may have noticed we never did get around to rating it for the facts because for this particular movie, who really cares? They got stuff out of line chronologically, but it really does present Elton John as Elton John. So we're going to give it a pass on the fact-checking just because it was so enjoyable, so creative, and so entertaining. And maybe someday we'll get John Helix to give his two cents on the film itself. I want to thank John for joining me to talk about Rocket Man. John is a local singer-songwriter in the San Diego area, and you can find his music almost anywhere you go to get his downloaded music. But hey, just go to his website, johnhelixofficial.com and give his website some hits and while I'm sending out the thank yous and the appreciative vibes I want to thank you for taking part of your day to listen to our little podcast here and visit us at biopicsmostlysuck.com where you can drop us a line let us know how you're doing let us know what you thought of the episode let us know if you have any movies that you might want us to take a look at and fact check While I'm sending out the thank yous, I want to thank you for taking part of your day to listen to our little podcast here. Be sure to give us some love and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also go to biopicsmostlysuck.com and let us know how we're doing. Do you like this podcast? Do you like what we're doing so far? Do you have an idea for a movie that you would like us to take a look at and find the facts? If so... Contact us at biopicsmostlysuck.com. Until the next episode, take care, everyone.